Welcome to 35 West. I'm Juan Cruz, a senior advisor for the CSIS Americas program, the director of the CSIS Argentine U.S. Strategic Forum. professional Mexican but government. are we ready I don't reform trends in Argentina right. and that's what happened role at all in the NAFTA negotiation it has been nearly 28 years since the first summit of the Americas was held in Miami in that time the region has changed dramatically and not always for the better recently the summit has fallen under a cloud as several countries including Mexico Bolivia and some members of CARICOM have announced their plans to not attend the summit if Cuba Nicaragua and Venezuela were not invited these statements have put planning for the summit on the back foot and further complicates efforts to align on a set of summit objectives. The summit remains therefore an important chance to align responses to shared challenges and increased regional cooperation. But many have criticized the US for being slow to recognize issues of greater concern to the region at large in favor of a quick reaction to address domestic or US centric issues. Even the prevalent view from the US on migration is one that focuses on countries and issues that aren't always necessarily shared elsewhere in the hemisphere, where the far more salient migration challenge is centered on Venezuela. This week, we are joined by Dr. Francisco de Santibanez, Vice President of the Argentine Council for International Relations, or CARI, one of the most prominent foreign policy think tanks in Argentina. Francisco joins us today to discuss prospects for the Summit of the Americas and share a south to north perspective on the challenges and more importantly, opportunities which may be present at the summit. In this episode, we will address the highlights of the summit and we'll go over some of the more well-tread territory, but also delve into some less covered topics and those that may deserve greater attention altogether. At a time where much of the analysis in Washington is directed, and what the U.S. can get from the rest of the region at the summit. Today, we want to take the opportunity to analyze what the region is looking for from the United States and how these interests might be better aligned. Thank you for joining us today, Francisco. Thank you for the invitation, Juan. Francisco is a very special guest. And so, Francisco, you've just heard a lot from me about the summit. Now I want to get your perspective as an international relations expert who can offer a Southern Cone perspective, if you will. First, I'd like to hear your thoughts about my statements on the disconnect between the US and regional objectives for the summit. Do you agree or disagree with my view that the agenda for the summit is tailored principally to US interests and why? I tend to agree, Juan. Uh, there are subjects such as immigration from Central America to the United States that may be very important from the perspective of American politics, but they do not necessarily resonate with South American nations and audiences throughout Latin America. There are other subjects, I think, in the agenda that, that are very interesting, are important, such as green future, digital transformation. But we're still, I think, overlooking some topics that may help to overcome some of Latin America's main concerns. Things like uh, lack of economic growth, popular discontent with governments throughout the region that are all also very important. And I think there is a demand from, from our populations and from our leaders to, to discuss, to have consensus. And I think the summit is a, it's a great opportunity for that. Yes, uh, of course. And now we have an official agenda for the summit, right? So based on this, what topics or issues are not being covered that you think should be addressed? One important topic, I think it's it's economic integration, no? and it's not one of the main 
subject of the summit. At least it doesn't seem to be so far. And I think we have to be conscious that there is a growing danger that each of our countries will go its own way in terms of economics and even in terms of politics. One case to mention is Mercosur, a custom union between Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay that's going through a major crisis. But this is only one example. And there are also bigger trends in play here, such as the growth of nationalism in the region, but at a global level, domestic and regional divisions. And now, of course, we have the war in Ukraine. So it may be very difficult to go back to the spirit of the 90s. Remember, Juan, the, the first summit of the Americas. At that time, we had a more positive and proactive agenda. But uh, nevertheless, I think we have to be more ambitious hmm? and more proactive than we have been so far. Because if we don't do that, there is a real danger that protectionism and regional dispute will emerge in the future years. And there is one subject in particular I think is very interesting. It's friend-shoring. It's different than near-shoring. And it's an interesting idea. But what does friend-shoring exactly mean? Uh, Latin Americans, to be part of this process, should adopt a particular agenda. This may create, for instance, some uncertainty, and, and this process may become less relevant and interesting for, for Latin American leaders, or will be an integration project based on long-term commitments, based on common values and interests. Moreover, what does friendshoring means in terms of projects? No, we are talking about trade, investment. What's the role of infrastructure? That's a major concern for Latin American nations to, today. And sometimes it seems the only options we face are the projects that are offered by, by the Chinese, no? with Chinese finance, for instance. We need to build nuclear plants. We need to, be, to build ports. We need to build hydroelectric plants. So there are many questions to be discussed uh, related to, to this concept that, again, I think is very positive. It opens a lot of opportunities. And that's one particular topic that I think we should, we should look at in the future years, and especially during the summit. Francisco, you've covered a lot of territory there, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick at this here and there. And I think I, uh, what I want to do is um, roll it back a little bit and ask you a little bit about the summit and some of the controversy it's under. The summit has already become embroiled in a row over attendance, as you know. But, you know, given Argentina's position as a bridge in the region and its leadership in CELAC, is there any room for Argentina to influence those who say they won't attend and perhaps get them to change their mind? I agree with you, Juan. First of all, it's true that Argentina has lost a lot of influence in the region and globally in the last decades, in part because of our economic decline, domestic divisions, but still is an important country in the region. No? Argentina is still one of the three largest economies in Latin America. In political terms, it has served and can do it again as a bridge between Mexico, Brazil, and other countries in the region. And you, as you mentioned, now Buenos Aires presides a lot, and that's an opportunity, again, to build new consensus, to look into the future. And, and Argentina, have, I think it, it can play a, a part, bringing together different leaders and to be part of also of the summit. 
Well, we hope so, uh, clearly. Now, you know, you've mentioned an, a, a number of issues. I'm, I'm just going to uh, go with another one here on, on one of the agenda items. I, I see that a lot of the items get overshadowed by migration. And you said an awful lot on nearshoring and French shoring and uh, goal for the Americas. I can't help but, you know, look at our opportunities to bring business back to the hemisphere, move it from China, from Asia to the U.S. allies. But from the U.S. side, it's often perceived as being more rhetoric than reality. Why do you think it's failed to manifest itself? You know, you've broken down nearshoring for us, but in your view, where is it that the U.S. could do maybe a little more to push this uh, towards the hemisphere's ability to respond and help uh, manufacture with excess capacity where the U.S. may need certain products and substitute those that have been coming from Asia? Before answering your question, again, I want to to point at the importance of the of the concept of greater integration, no? Of course, the winners of a process like this, and we saw it is in, in NAFTA, will be in part the countries that are closer to, to the United States, the manufacturing sector. But there are also enormous opportunities in the technological sector. And this is sometimes not well known, uh, neither in the US or in Latin America. But for instance, take the case of Argentina and Brazil. We have many unicorns. This major technological companies that already have very close relations to the American economy, but they can be even stronger. And that would be both good for the US and for, for our countries. One example, for instance, there's a company in Argentina called Globant. It's a major IT and software company that today has 70% of Globant's revenue coming from the US. It has more than a thousand employees and it has already bought five American companies. So imagine what a digital agreement will do when you see these opportunities, no? A digital integration between our countries in the Western Hemisphere. That, that's one way to think about this. It's not just the traditional, it's not trade as we used to think about. No? It's also the digital economy, green energy, etc. But as you mentioned, all these opportunities are not easy to implement. And I think one aspect to be successful has to do with having strong institutional arrangement. Uh, Because we need governments, but also companies to to have some certainty about what's going to happen in the future. Because they will, if if that's the case, they will be willing to invest vast amount of capital in other nations, especially from American companies to invest in Latin America and in the Southern Congo. And that, that, that's again, NAFTA in part did that. It's an example of having some, some rules, clear, stable rules that allow for those investments to, to take part. So when we think about friendshoring, when we think about closer relations between the US and Latin America, again, I think certainty is very important. Incisive observations, Francisco. It also brings to mind, you know, some cases where it, Silicon Valley pr- produces a number of the companies that end up migrating to Argentina, seeking Argentine expertise, resources, and human talent. And during the pandemic, we've all read these articles where U.S. companies have been hired uh, Argentine uh, expertise and uh, having them contribute and work remotely to those efforts in the United States. And it's a way way for the U.S. to avail itself of Argentine talent and taking advantage of the uh, new use of virtual communications and such and the digital advantages that are enabled for us to 
just a little a little piece of the economy being able to take advantage of what Argentina has to offer. And you know, fo- following this conversation, I have to say that you know we talk about nearshoring in this conversation. We also talk about the U.S. wanting to do it to decouple from China. Now we ignore the fact that in many countries in the region, China is either the number one or the number two trading partner. So what role do you think China should and could play in Latin America's economic future? Well, one thing to understand is that, that as you mentioned, the relation is very important. No? China is the main trade partner of most countries in the Southern Cone, for instance. It has a different kind of relation with Mexico. There is more competition there to the American market. But in the case of South America, this is a very strong economic relation and space in comparative advantages. So it won't disappear from one day to, to another. There are strong incentives for trade to, to, to take place. Basically, today we tend to export to China commodities and import from China machines and capital goods. But there is also something to mention about investments. No? Because as I said before, uh, many times the only opportunity to, to receive investment infrastructure come from China. No? So it's, that's becoming an increasingly important aspect of the relation. I wouldn't say that trade, traditional trade is growing as it used to, do, to, to be the case, but now what is growing is a relation in terms of infrastructure, building bridges, building ports, building nuclear plants. But that, uh, this doesn't mean that Latin Americans want to develop a relationship of dependency with China. I would say that there are major concerns about that. For instance, there is a fear that Latin America will become a less developed and sophisticated economy that will only produce commodities and export them to Asia. Uh, there is, uh, of course, also a concern about having closer political and security links with China. So I think we, Latin American nations, uh, most governments really want to diversify the relationship don't want to have such a strong dependency with the Chinese economy. And they look forward to work with the US in this sense. And not, so, not only because of the economy, of course, there's also a willingness among most societies to protect democracy. No? And again, so I think there are common interests, common values between the, the US and Latin American nations. And the summit is one opportunity, but we have to think in terms of long-term strategy, both from the part of the U.S. and part of Latin American nations. I couldn't agree with you more. The summit is an episode, but you know everything else is going is a continuum. And the truth is that it's important that we have you today for your international relations expertise, for your analytical abilities. But the fact is, you're also a very successful businessman. So I have to ask you, you know, from your perspective, what are Latin American business communities, businessmen looking to come out of the Summit of the Americas? Again, as I mentioned before, certainty is very important to have an idea of how economic relations between the United States and America, Latin America will look in the coming decades, no? because we are talking about commitment money, investments, and the re- return of those investments will come in the medium long term. So it's very important to, to have perceptions that if we are going to have closer relations, those relations will last in, in time. And again, for that, it's necessary to have a strategy and not just complain from Latin America that the US doesn't have a strategy towards us because most Latin American countries don't have a strategy 
in general in terms of foreign policy, but specifically with relation from the United States. So the summit is, is an opportunity to, to discuss this, to reach some degree of consensus, and forget maybe for a moment about the, the day-to-day agenda, no? and to think in, in our long-term interest. And one aspect, one I think is important, this is not the only, the only, of course, the only agenda, regional agenda the, the US is now discussing with, with other countries. No, there is also discussion in these days about the Indo-Pacific economic framework between mainly the United States and Asian, Asian countries. In these days, the, the will, we will have an announcement related to, to that. And I think it's an interesting case to study because some of the pillars of that framework are infrastructure, supply chain resilience, and clean energy. So that's an agenda that's a little bit different of the agenda we're seeing now in the Summit of Americas. But I think it's also very helpful, especially from the perspective of the private sector. I'll just make a comment that in the initial days of the planning, it looked like the, um, the agenda items were a little sparse for the summit. Now it looks that it's they have grown significantly, and it will be an interesting challenge to see how they are able to address all the issues that have now been surfaced as potential agenda items for the summit. There's a lot of business to be done there. I want to shift gears though, and I, and you know another opportunity for for summits to make an impact is uh, their ability to help us get ahead of problems that you know they might not seem as severe today, but have uh, significant downstream consequences if if they're allowed to persist. So let's touch on a topic that's far from the region. You said it first. You used the you addressed it already. You raised the issue of the Ukraine. We have this crisis in Ukraine. You know, what would what would you say are some of the consequences of the war in the Ukraine for the hemisphere? I think one, one consequence is a negative consequence. It may be the weakening of the multilateral system. The, the system is especially important for small and middle-sized countries such as such as, such as ours in Latin America. And multilateralism is important because it provides some stable and clear rules that I think only norms and international organizations can provide. For instance, uh, the, the respect of the territorial integrity of the state, hmm? something that has been violated in Ukraine, clearly violated by Russia. That raises the level of conflictivity, and that's especially bad, as I mentioned, for countries that are located in, in Latin America. Because we are part of the war and there are also disputes between the United States and China in our region. No? So how to avoid for those conflicts to arrive to a region? And I think multilateralism is very useful and has suffered a lot after the the Russian invasion in, in, in Ukraine. And of course, the economic importance of Russia in Latin America is not huge, but that's not the case of China. So let's think about what will happen if, for instance, China invades Taiwan. That could be a very difficult situation for Latin American countries because they will then have to, will have to take difficult geopolitical choices that will have real-life consequences for, for their citizens. So we are living in a, a more, more difficult world with more conflictivity, and the war in Ukraine is an example of that. And uh, 
woke-up call, I think, for many Latin American governments to start thinking strategically and to defend the good institutions and norms we already have in the Western Hemisphere. We don't have to forget the positive aspects of our regional system. No? We are a relatively peaceful region. We haven't seen wars in Latin America for a long time, and I think we have to preserve that. Thank, thank you for that. I'm going to um, shift gears again and, and address an issue that covers several themes. It sits at the intersection of food security, climate change, strategic competition, and it's that issue of illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing, or IUU. Now, it's primarily conducted by China, not exclusively, but primarily, and the consensus has been slow to build within the region for a unified response to the IUU threat. Does the summit present an opportunity to align on a multilateral approach to crack down on IU fishing? What's your sense? I think in general, it's an opportunity to, to coordinate efforts to fight criminal activity in the Western Hemisphere, and that should be a priority. And for that, we need laws, but we also need the capacity to enforce them. And the U.S. is the key actor in that. No? It can provide a lot of help to Latin American nations. But by creating consensus and by providing technical assistance to our security forces. And illegal, illegal fishing, as you mentioned, Juan, is a perfect example of that. Not only because it is an illegal activity, but it also because affects the provision of food and affects our security and the economic well-being of, of our society. So I agree, it should be a priority. Thank you for that. The, the summit is also a, an opportunity for us to address other issues like that. I, I haven't heard as much, but but maybe we're missing something. The summit is an excellent opportunity for the U.S. and, and countries throughout the hemisphere to demonstrate leadership at a time of creeping post-pandemic recovery. We're still vexed by both what lies ahead on COVID-19 and the reality of future infectious disease outbreaks, right? We just saw the resurgence of monkeypox in Europe. It's now surfaced in the United States. Uh, that's all we needed, right? So I, for one, believe the United States should support vaccine production facilities throughout the region, which could rapidly be tasked with meeting demands for vaccines during any you know, health crisis. Francisco, how, how do you think we can use what we've learned during the pandemic, leverage the excess capacity of our countries, and how do we have an impact on having a more regional approach to any future health crisis? Crisis create opportunities, and I think now after the pandemic, we have an opportunity for more collaboration in the sex, health sector especially, and that will be very important for all our countries. As you mentioned, we need to promote the production of vaccines throughout Latin America, but also other kind of initiatives in the, in the health sector. And this is also related to, to the things we have been talking, Juan, uh, friendshoring, and the necessity to create more certainty about the, the future. In addition to investing in greater vaccine capacity, what else should the region prioritize when it comes to health security and pandemic preparedness? You know, what are the key lessons that we've learned? Well, I think one aspect that's not always mentioned, but it's important, is scientific exchange, especially between the U.S. and, and Latin, Latin America. Because this will allow us to be part of your research project and thus be more ready for, for if a, a new pandemic emerges. 
not well known, it's also another problem we have in Latin America, is the, the migration, not only of doctors, but also of scientists to the developed world looking for better work conditions. So this kind of collaboration will be helpful, I think, to create opportunities to research and work in Latin, in Latin America for these the scientists and, and doctors. Well, Francisco, I have to admit, you have covered a lot of ground today. But that said, is there something we may have failed to touch on, something you would like to add or highlight from our uh, conversation today? Well, one aspect we were talking a couple of weeks ago, Juan, is, is my concern about educational exchange. No? If we see now in the previous decades, many leaders in Latin America, both in academics and in the political world, studied in the US. And that kind of change was very helpful, I think, because it permitted many of us, I'm one example, to study in the best universities of the world that are located in the US. And I don't see that kind of change today. At least it's not as rich as it used to be. So it, it will be very important for, for Latin American nations, but I also think it will be important for the US because in terms of of strategy, you now see countries like China that they have their own soft power strategy in their region that includes funding scholarship and academic exchanges with Latin American nations. So I think of also from the American perspective, this is a development that we should pay more, more, more attention. Francisco, I couldn't agree with you more. Just um, er earlier in the month, one of the uh, State Department officials was speaking precisely about that soft power tool being used by the United States and being much to our uh, advantage. And uh, I agree with you. I think you chose your, the words you chose were that if those programs exist, they're certainly not as rich as they used to be. And China seems to have a much more obvious and uh, certainly visible offensive uh, on this end. So I agree with you entirely. We need to do a lot more. On, and we've always gotten a lot of mileage from being to investing in the educational exchanges and giving opportunities to people from outside the United States. Excellent. Thank you so much for your meaningful responses. You're you know, well-informed. I think that uh, anyone from uh, interested in the summit is going to have some significant takeaways Thanks for joining us on 35 West Francisco. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today and uh, sh sharing your thoughts with us. Ciao, hermano. Great job. Thank you, Juan. For you, thank you again for joining. Stay tuned for the next episode of 35 West. 